human beings are probably wired a little bit that we just want things stable. And the problem with that is we're, we're literally in, you know, a revolution right now when it comes to innovation and technology that the only constant is that everything is going to change every day. And so the companies that I see that really do well are the ones that kind of set that standard internal that, Hey, we, we have to keep thinking about how we're going to change and reinvent ourselves on a daily basis. Welcome to the art of humanity with Jessica Ann. Listen for fresh perspectives with artists, leaders, authors, and entrepreneurs explore creativity and consciousness evolve your business with the art of humanity. Now here's your host, Jessica Ann. Hi, it's Jessica Ann, and thank you so much for listening to my podcast. Today is Saturday, March 31st, and this is episode 30 of season three. It's the second full moon in March. And when two full moons occur in the same month, the second is called a blue moon. It's also the second blue moon since the beginning of the year. We had two full moons in January. What's the reason for this anomaly? Well, according to space.com, February is the shortest month, and this year it had no full moon. So to make up for this lack, March ended up with an extra full moon. Today's blue moon will be the last one until 2020. Today's episode is all about transparency in marketing and technology. I've been thinking a lot about how the internet fuels our creativity. And the goal of this podcast is to shed light on topics through the lens of creativity and curiosity to evolve our consciousness. My guest today really does just that. His name is Douglas Carr, and I have so much to say about this interview. We talk about everything from being an entrepreneur and risk-taking to Cambridge Analytica, SEO, and native advertising. I have so much to say about our interview, but I'm going to keep this intro short and sweet. I hope you enjoy the episode. Douglas is the founder of the MarTech blog and recognized MarTech expert. He is a keynote and marketing public speaker and the CEO of DK New Media, an agency specializing in assisting marketing technology companies with their inbound marketing, leveraging social media, blogging, search engine optimization, pay-per-click, and PR. In other words, public relations. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for those who might not know what that stands for. <laughs> He's developed digital marketing and product strategies for Angie's List, GoDaddy, Salesforce, Web Trends, and Smart Focus. Douglas is also the author of Corporate Blogging for Dummies and co-author of The Better Business Book. Douglas, thanks so much for joining me on The Art of Humanity. Oh, thank you for having me, Jessica. So Douglas, you started your career in print, and now you're well-versed in the world of digital. I'd like you to take us on a little bit of a journey back in time to the early days. I'm really curious what that transition has looked like over the years and how you've evolved both personally and professionally. Oh, wow. That's a, I think we could talk for two hours just on that topic. <laughs> um, yeah, I, you know, even, even I'll give you a, a kind of a little bit before even print. Um, I was in the, in the U.S. Navy and um, honorably discharged, and I was actually an electrician in the Navy. But at that time, uh, when I got out of the Navy uh, and I did get a job at a newspaper, surprisingly, there wasn't IT groups back then, right? We, the internet was still young. And so electricians and electronic technicians actually used to set up networks and 
get everything you know installed and configured and that's when i i caught the bug then with digital and so i jumped into it head first i was i was just truly blessed to be at the right company at the right time um the parent company was landmark communications and the and the company was the virginian pilot uh but the the senior leadership was all in on the internet they um they invested in red hat and they um you know we we were swapping satellites for fiber. We were doing all kinds of crazy stuff before, you know, before anybody had even internet connections in their houses. And so, uh, you know, it was then that I, I just, just absolutely fell in love with digital. Um, the pace of it, I, I think the rapid innovation, the, the ability to just get things done a lot less expensive and a lot faster. And, um, and I could, I could kind of see the writing on the wall with the newspaper industry. And, um, and I had, I had moved out West for a while in Denver and worked for a, a really, really high end consulting firm that was helping people like the New York times and Toronto globe and mail, um, do analysis on their advertising and retention and I could see the numbers, you know, and I could see that these everybody was really just kind of struggling to to keep up. Um, you know, I think I, I think at the time most companies were talking about, hey, we're not losing subscribers on pace with the <laughs> with the industry. That was like a, if you were do if you were not losing clients on pace with the industry, then you were one of the leading newspapers, which was horrifying. You know, it was. Um, and I, and I saw, um, I, I likened it to, you know, the Titanic going down and you remember that scene where the, the band is playing on the deck as the, as the ship is going down. Mm -hmm. That's what I saw. That's what I saw internal in the, in the industry. Um, the, the, the newspaper industry, the print industry was very, very, um, insulated, you never got promoted unless you had years of experience within the industry. So they didn't bring in digital marketing experts or digital media experts or IT experts. They grew everything internally and promoted internally. And, um, and, and I always tell people that it was a, you know, it was a suicide, not a murder when it came to, when it came to that industry. And that's because from the inside, everybody knew what was happening and just watched it happen. And rather than taking the massive profits, because I, I think people now look at newspapers and they, they, they think of them as kind of a, you know, a low end or poor margin company. But back then we had 40% profit margins on a lot of our products and you know you were the only newspaper in town you could charge you know virtually whatever you wanted and um and instead of taking those 40 percent profits and really investing it into you know innovation um instead they pocketed them and you know this is what happens when a, a company goes down that route and so i i moved back to um i moved from the east coast to denver and then back to indianapolis um and when i moved to indianapolis i worked for a newspaper for just about um, I guess it was just about a year and, um, and, and thankfully I got fired actually. Um, <laughs> it was, it was for nothing bad, but I was the guy that was just a real loud mouth about, 
my God, what are we doing? What are we doing? What are we doing? And, uh, and I, I finally got, you know, kind of in an argument with senior leadership that said, Hey, we're a newspaper. We're not a digital marketing firm. We're not a direct mail firm. We're not a database marketing firm. We're a newspaper and that's what we want to do. And, um, and they, they said, you know, if you don't like that, you know, you're going to need to leave. And so I left and never looked back. I mean, it's been a, it's just a, again, I hit a number of perfect opportunities at the perfect time. I had a, a friend of mine that was working at the, at the Indianapolis Colts. And the, the very day that I got fired, he called me and said, Hey, you know, we're going to head towards the Super Bowl and we need help. And so that was my, you know, my first day of unemployment was <laughs> walking over to the Colts and helping them all the way to the Super Bowl. So that was a pretty exciting time. That is not a bad, that's not, that's not a bad thing to have happened. I mean, talk about seeing the writing on the wall, you know, you, as you said, literally, you saw the writing on the the print wall, and you were sinking with the Titanic. And I think there are two people in the world. There's the first person who just sinks with it, and just keeps listening to the music playing and thinking that it's beautiful as you're drowning. And then there's someone like you who's like, you know what? This music could be so much better. I'm going (laughs) to hop off this ship and see where I, where else I can go. So I think, I think a lot of people, uh, a lot of people are, are, you know, risk averse in that way that they, the assumption is that something worse is going to come their way, not something better. Mm-hmm. And I often, in fact, I had a young lady that I was mentoring uh, a while back, maybe a month ago, and she actually got fired from her job. And uh, and I called her up, and of course, she was just hysterical, you know, that she had gotten fired and she thought she was a failure and everything else. And and I said, my God, look back at the last couple of years because she went from an intern to a full employee, learned a ton of trades, ran events, did all kinds of crazy stuff. And I said. I said, you, you, you killed it. I was like, so, you know, I said, people, people get fired for different reasons, you know, whether it's performance related, budget related, everything. And I said, but open your eyes because the next opportunity uh, is going to be amazing. And sure enough, um, you know, a couple of weeks later, she got an offer from a company that was more pay. She's literally, as we're speaking, I just saw her on Facebook. She's taking pictures. She's in New York city on a, on a, trip with the company. Well, that never happened before. And so I, I always tell people like, you know, there's sometimes we need shoved out the door to, to go find the opportunity that, you know, we never knew existed. That's the truth. I mean, honestly, that's what happened to me. That's what happened to all of my best entrepreneurial friends. They were, you know, they were really, they were in a cushy job, you know, stability, comfort, steady paycheck. And then one day they wake up, boom, all of it's gone. That lights a fire under your ass to get moving and to really focus on where you're passionate and to create work that's meaningful to you and to the world, not just in the sense of, oh, this is great for my ego, but in a sense that you can really make a bigger impact in the world as a whole. And I think that's one of the benefits of getting fired. There's so many upsides to not working for a large company. I mean, granted, you do have that steady paycheck. You are a part of a big picture vision. But, um, you know, 
as you're finding your way in the world, you know, your first gig was with the Indiana Colts. What was that yeah. like to go from a, you know, a job, a steady paycheck to something where you have no idea how you're going to make this work, if you can make it work? <laughs> Tell me a little bit about what that was like for you. Well, I'll even surprise you a bit further because um, I never graduated from college and I was a single father of two kids. <laughs> so, oh, um, yeah. If you so, can make it work. <laughs> Anyone out there listening, there's, there are no excuses. <laughs> well, they, and that's it, right? You know, I mean, it was, it was, I, I, the one thing that I did have was confidence in my capabilities. And, and so I knew that, um, I could, I knew that, uh, I had a marketable, you know, uh, skills and, and that I could get out there and people would want to pay for those skills. And so it was just a matter of time of finding the right place. But as I get older now, you know, I, I'm coming up on 50 years old and, and now I only look for the good opportunities, you know, and I bypass a lot of opportunity um, that just, you know, it's not an A plus and I just don't bother with it. And it seems that the more I do that with my life, um, the the better off I am. And there's something to be said about that. It's jumping off a cliff and not knowing where or how you're going to land. And I think it's a beautiful thing when we learn to be uncomfortable with that because that's a yes. large part of being an entrepreneur. It's just jumping yeah. and just flinging yourself off a cliff, doing backflips <laughs> as you go down. <laughs> Sometimes screaming and crying, but... <laughs> yeah, lots of tears, lots of crying. I mean, the entire spectrum of emotions as you're as you're finding your way through that entrepreneurial yeah. path um, but it's really exciting and one of the one of the other good things is that you get to work with um, other businesses out there to help them with what you love to do so there's an there's an intersection there's a collision yes. of ideas that happen here and you love helping at least on your the bio it says that you establish um, authority in the marketplace for the companies that you work with. And you work with a lot of technology companies. So you get to use your background in, you know, you mentioned you were in the Navy and you had lots of experience with working with IT back in the day. So you really got a chance to translate all of that technical knowledge in a way that helps businesses. And yes. I'm curious, what is like a theme or a thread that you see most often when you work with these businesses that is so easy to fix, but, you know, they might be getting in their own way? Well, um, I think the, the getting in their own way is often, uh, cultural issues with stability. Um, I think, uh, uh, human beings are probably wired a little bit that we just want things stable. We, we just don't want things to be changing all of the time. And the problem with that is we're, we're literally in, you know, a revolution right now when it comes to, to innovation and technology that everything, the only constant is that everything is going to change every day. And so the, the, the companies that I see that really do well are the ones that kind of set that standard internal that, Hey, we, we have to keep thinking about how we're going to change and reinvent ourselves on a daily basis. And the ones that I see struggle are the ones that are really just resistant to, you know, Oh my God, if we have to implement that system, you know, the pain that it's going to cause and the delays and, and, and everything. And so there's, there's honestly some companies that you just have to walk away from because they're, 
they're not they're they're incapable culturally you know of adjustment and you know you know uh, honestly you know i think i think i read an article that um something like 50% of the forbes 500 list has you know has dropped off in the last you know whatever I, I, it's not a year but you know it's 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 close and it's that these companies just can't they can't sustain that innovation level they're they're creeps in you know middle management creeps in bureaucracy creeps in politics creeps in and everything kind of slows down and it's uh it's why you see companies like google and and facebook and apple and everything they acquire companies like crazy because what they're trying to do is re-inject life and innovation and change you know um and and not get bogged down like let's say an ibm did or a you know or a polaroid or you know other companies and so uh, those are the two key differences that i really see is just these um if i walk in and they're excited about the opportunities and the change and the technology and everything else and they're hungry for that i know it's going to be successful but when i see a discomfort level and people upset and um and and maybe just frustrated you know that oh my gosh we're changing again um i know that that culture is just you know they're just not going to last um with with that honestly so that's that's probably the two keys. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of change, um, we are just coming on the heels of a huge scandal with Facebook, and so much change has happened just within the past week alone. Anyone who's in technology and marketing <laughs> saw the saw the writing on the wall a while ago, and now the data, everything's kind of exposed with the Cambridge Analytics scandal. And everyone is talking about privacy. Um, Elon Musk just deleted his SpaceX and Tesla Facebook pages. Um, what can we learn from this as someone that's into technology and into marketing and building audiences? What can we learn from the slow decline of Mark Zuckerberg's Facebook? Um, and how can we, you know, not get ourselves into this? predicament you know do we need laws to scrub our data from these social media companies on a regular basis that brings in bureaucracy but then at the same time how do we thrive off of the energy that's fresh and new and exciting that comes from the data so there's a balance here and and what are your thoughts on everything that's happening in the news today with facebook and technology and you know how do we make this work for us as business owners and as consultants who may work with technology companies yeah, it's a it's a it's it's interesting. I I often tell people that if the you know if the founding fathers of the United States knew what we were doing today, I'm I'm fairly certain that there would be a Bill of Rights amendment on privacy and who owns your data. And I think I think um you know the the chances of getting that something like that passed in the future I think are is is pretty slim. Um, but but I do think it's unfortunate that there's not a lot more responsibility to go with, you know, how people handle my data and who has it and do I even know who has, you know, has my profile information. Um, you know, there, there's another side of it, too, though, to me. I, I, I have really, really mixed feelings about it. People are so, you know, so tired of honestly um, – 
you know, just a, a, a rough political system and a divisive political system in our country that the backlash is going everywhere into everybody. And it's not just left or right. You know, it's not just left. It's also right. We're seeing it on, you know, YouTube denying, um, I saw, I think they pulled advertising on anything, you know, gun related and, and, uh, and Citibank, you know, recently just said that they're, you know, anything gun related, they're not gonna, you know, they're not going to work with, uh, you know, companies. And so the backlash is definitely, you know, harsh and strong, but I'm not, I'm not convinced that that's good. I, I, as a marketer, and the, and the funny thing about this is I can't stand Facebook. <laughs> mm-hmm. And here I am defending, you know, Mark Zuckerberg. But right. But here's the here's the problem is how do I talk to Jessica and tell you, send you a relevant message on time that motivates you or provides you with a solution or something else and 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 not bug the crap out of you. Well, in order to do that, I have to collect a ton of data on you and I have to learn about you and I have to know you. And so there's that that side of this that, well, if everybody just wants to get smacked upside the head by irrelevant advertising everywhere they look, which is most of our day, then hide all of the data. But if you really want people to be able to seek you out and to connect you with products, services, you know, political candidates, you know, what have you, you kind of have to have this open data framework. Um, It's just that, you know, we expect you to use it responsibly. I don't expect you to be able to resell my data to third parties or like with the Cambridge, what happened, you know, where you get my data just because a friend of mine opted in, you know, um, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting quandary because I, I do love, the accuracy that you can get for pinpointing and targeting, um, you know, consumers with marketing data at the same time as a consumer, I'm also, you know, concerned that, you know, people have too much data on me and it could get into the wrong hands. And I don't like that either. So yeah, it's a, we're, we're in a quandary. That's for sure. Yeah. And I think, I mean, let me stop you there because I don't think it's about third parties utilizing your data. It's about the business model of Facebook. I mean, that's my, that's my opinion. And I think that it's about us coughing up our life stories on Facebook so that they can look at that data and sell it to advertisers so we can be influenced. (laughs) And well, we, we, Ultimately, we're the product, right? I mean, absolutely. And, it's just, sort of, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry, I, you just you just got me really passionate. <laughs> but go ahead, go ahead. Keep no, talking. but that's 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 it. Is is uh, as consumers, we get really upset about this, but at the same time, we've been given this free platform, you know, to communicate with all of our friends and relatives and everything else. Well, there's a cost to that platform. And the cost is that you're, you're the product, you're giving up your data. And every time you, you know, I always, I think it's funny that some of the people that I see that are really upset about it are the ones that every time I look at their stream, they're taking another one of those, you know, app tests on, you know, which celebrity do you look like, uh, which, you know, political leanings do you have? Um, what's your, you know, <laughs> you know, I, all of these guessing and predicting, but the funny thing is, is if you're clicking on an app in Facebook that says, what celebrity do I look like? The first thing you did was give them your picture 
and give them your photo and let them analyze it. Yeah. <laughs> and and you're looking at it as entertainment, but it's not entertainment. That's the draw is they're trading you that entertainment so that they can grab that rich data. And you, you check the box that said, yes, you can have access to my profile. And, and, um, and we need to, you know, we need to start paying attention to those boxes that we're clicking all the time. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that it's not just about this. It's not just about like what we're talking about with Facebook. Right. It's about the future of our whole country. It's about our future. How do we want to live? Do we want to live in a surveillance state? And I feel right. like I see why Facebook does what it does. We are the product. But at the same time, this is deeper. This is bigger. This is like, this is, we're in a post truth era right now because yes. no one knows what the real truth is because, I mean, because of YouTube. YouTube is, blocking people that aren't expressing a certain viewpoint on their channel. So you don't really necessarily know if it's not fitting the message of what these advertisers want to hear, they're getting shut down. And I see that as a huge threat to democracy. And I, do I don't like the way that things are heading. And I, this is some coming from someone that used to be, and still am pretty passionate about social media and about the synchronicity and the opportunities for it. But at the same time, there's a big dark cloud over it right now and we need to be more mindful and more awake and more watchful about how we're it's how we're going through life every day. <laughs> well, I, I totally, I couldn't agree with you more. And I, I think the, you know, someone had uh, said that I was watching an interview and I can't, I can't remember who said it, but he put it perfectly. He was talking about, you know, in the early days of, of Facebook even right where the, the wall was basically, um, you know, as you were reading Facebook, what you were seeing was things that you opted into that were genuinely popular between you and your audience. Um, and, and so you and your friends. And so our, what we were seeing was the free movement of information, right? That the popular stuff rose to the top and it was really our freedom to opt into whatever we wanted. But over time, because so much data was coming through, Google had to filter it even more and use algorithms even more and tighten up on those algorithms. And, and so over time, what it's become is we're spoon fed information that they think we want rather than that open architecture that we we fell in love with at the beginning of this and i think it's it's why we're seeing a, a significant drop in activity on facebook too um with respect to what you were saying uh, as well i i couldn't agree more i mean i lean i lean very you know libertarian when it comes to 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 this stuff and and one of the things that i always caution people is what you see online is just fake, you know, and it's, and it's, um, you know, I, I have entrepreneur friends that they look like millionaires online. They're traveling to places and everything else. And they're doing all these things. Well, I know them personally and I know they're in financial trouble and they're, you know, they're going through divorce because of their, you know, everything. Well, we don't, we don't share those pictures, right? When you get in an argument with your spouse, you don't put that on Instagram, <laughs> you know, yeah. you put, and and so I think there's this weird thing where 
if you're a person that's really struggling in the world and maybe socially um, you're having a hard time and, and everything, um, social media can be both a blessing and a curse. It can be a blessing because now all of a sudden you can get connected to people who care about you and can you know give you the attention that you need or the help that you need. But at the same time, if you're looking at social media – and you're you're not having a good life and maybe you're in you know a different situation from health poverty everything else you might get really depressed at what you're looking at because you think wow i am just not normal everybody else just is doing fantastic i must be a failure and um and 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 that's why that's why you know i even told you before the show i said hey i'm an open book you know mm-hmm. and and I, I am online. I share my, you know, I share when I got, I got my company into financial trouble a few years ago. I share about, you know, tax situations. I share about my kids. I share, I share about everything. And one of the reasons why I do it isn't because, you know, I want negative attention or people to think negative of me, of me. It's that every single time I do that, people instant message me and say, I can't thank you enough for what you wrote because I've been going through the same thing and it's terrible and, and everything else. And, but everybody's kind of paralyzed that we can't, we can't share our, our challenges online. We just have to share our successes. So I am with you there. I think, I think it's, it's a, it's a, it's a dangerous world. I think we're all in this human experience together and sharing both sides of your life really is a way to connect to your audience. So I love that, that that's what you do. And, um, and I love that that's really who you are as a person too. And I, and I think that goes a long way in business as well. It it does. Um, you know, at the same time, I caution my kids that they can't be as expressive as I am. Right. You know, that, um, it, it, it can hurt their chances of getting a job if they're, you know, loud about a political leaning or, um, you know, or, you know, partying with their friends or, or whatever. And so, you know, I, I hope, you know, I hope maybe within 10, 20 years that the, that we stop this bar of perfection and start to recognize the fact that everybody, uh, you know, that we're all flawed humans and, and, uh, we're all, you know, there's this expectations. We have the expectation, you know, from the, you know, the president all the way down to the, you know, the lowly person that, for some reason we have this expectation that people are going to be perfect and we all know that we're not perfect. We're very flawed. And, and, and I think as all of this becomes more and more transparent, like what you were saying that all of the data gets out there and, um, and I, I often think, you know, I joke with my friends on Facebook Messenger. Well, oftentimes it is not jokes that, you know, I do it privately because it's a public joke that I would never say in front of somebody else because I could insult people or they might be offended or whatever. And um, and I often wonder, like, is someday Facebook going to get hacked and all of that data is out there? Mm-hmm. You know, what ha- what happens to us as a people? Because people are dark, you know, people have dark senses of humor, people have bad days, people say, I've said things to my kids and, you know, my ex-wife and stuff that I'm not proud of, I've done things in my life that were horrible things, and and I, I try to redeem myself, but that's everybody, mm. everybody is like that, and 
someday we're going to have to get to a point with humanity that we recognize the fact that we're flawed human beings and we have to start looking at what the good is that people are doing and and steering them in that direction instead of focusing on you know their past and the crimes that they've committed or the you know or the mistakes that they've made um so yeah you got me on my soapbox too (laughs) (laughs) I, i love it i mean i think that we've been talking a lot about facebook but the other monster or, you know, depending on <laughs> you, how you want to look at it, but the other end of the spectrum is Google and uh, search engine optimization. So we've been talking a lot yeah. about Facebook and connecting and um, data and, and Google has similar types of tactics that they use. Everyone thinks there's a silver bullet out there and the silver bullet that a lot of people uh, like to use is paid backlinks. Um, and, and I want to talk, Ugh. I want to get you on another soapbox cause I know you're passionate <laughs> about this too. Um, you know, you've been hired by multiple clients to undo the damage of paid backlinks and yes. people still do this, but don't really talk about it. And Google's been using link popularity to rank websites. Um, you know, it's, it's become a commodity. So I want to hear from you, you know, uh, in terms of like the, black hat, the gray hat, and the white hat, how has link buying evolved, you know, over time and where does it stand today? And I know this is a huge soapbox for you, so I'm excited to hear your response to this. (laughs) Yeah, well, anytime I I even see the term backlinking, I cringe just a little bit uh, because it's, uh, you know, a a backlink is supposed to be a, a weighted, you know, authority, you know, indicator to, to search engine ranking. And that weight is based on genuine popularity, not buying popularity. And so, you know, I, 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 there's a couple distinct things here. One is that a lot of companies hire SEO consultants and aren't even aware that those SEO consultants who are under incredible pressure to get them ranking are creating backlinks on them. So that's the first one is that we have SEO professionals all over the world right now that are getting paid. You know, this is a billion multi-billion dollar industry. And you know, if I have a, if I have a contract with a large company and it's hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to do SEO for that company and they're expecting me to get results, uh, you know, if, if I, if I don't have, um, you know, if I just don't have the, the fortitude, uh, I'm going to go backlink and I'm going to fake those results. Well, ultimately what happens with that and it will happen. This is the thing. It will happen. It's not a matter of whether it'll happen or not, but what will happen is the algorithms will catch up. And we saw that, um, you know, we saw that a few years back and, and, uh, I happened to be doing, there was a company that was going public. And so they were, they had an IPO and, uh, and they said, you know, we've been working with this firm for a couple of years now, and we're a little bit worried because we're getting incredible ranking, but we're not seeing them really do a lot of effort involved. Can you go take a look? And so I went and took a look, and sure enough, I tracked all of these links back to farms that they had created, and I actually got the evidence, you know, that there was, there was cross-linking between multiple clients and everything else. And the the risk, of course, for this company with the IPO was that that could have 
literally that could have buried their IPO. It, it, it would have buried their IPO because they were a company that was built on uh, trust factors and everything else. Now, now the even worse part of it was undoing the mess, you know, un- whatever they had paid, you know, those SEO people, you know, to do, to get them there, they had to pay more to get it undone because the, the analysis of, of toxic links and devouring those links with the search engines is just an incredibly laborious task. Um, it requires a ton of time and tools and, and, and everything else. And, um, and so I, I just can't believe in this day and age that, that, one SEO professionals are taking that risk because I, I feel like they're ripe for getting sued. In fact, the company that was going IPO would, they told me they would have absolutely sued them except that it would have been bad press for them. Um, and, and they couldn't get that press. Um, you know, so, so that's, that's it. Now, now, when when I tell people, hey, the reason why you're not ranking is because you don't have enough links, I don't say it like that. What I say is, hey, the reason why you're not ranking is because you haven't been recognized by other relevant sites and other relevant, you know, sources of information that Google trusts, you know, to get you the ranking that your competitors are getting. And so what we need to do is we need to go, uh, a friend of mine, Tom Broadbeck, you know, calls it link earning. And I love that term. And he said, you know, that's what we need to do is we need to create strategies that earn those links on other places. Well, how do you do that? Well, I'm having a conversation with you today, Jessica. We're talking about this stuff. You're probably going to write it and you're going to share about it. And I'm going to wind up getting a link back to my site. Well, that's earned. I earned that because of my authority, because I took the time to talk to you you know, and, and get this information out there. Things like writing articles for third party sites. Um, uh, there's a ton of sites out there that welcome articles. My, I'm one of them, MarTech. I love it when someone writes an article and I have no problem when an author has a link back to their site, um, you know, from mine. But when someone comes to me and they say, Hey, you're ranking, you know, really well for this term, we'd really like it if you could add a link in there to our site or we'll pay you to add a link. I, I run away, you know, and <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the one is I do think that there's an opportunity. Uh, well, the wrong word is opportunity. I do think there's an, another additional risk in that in the future, ultimately every time that you, when, when I say anything about a company, I have to disclose whether I have a financial relationship with that company, according to the federal trade commission. Mm-hmm. And I really feel that links are one of those mentions that nobody talks about. And ultimately someday uh, a paid link is going to require some kind of, you know, um, mandatory, you know, acknowledgement that you were paid, you know, to get that there. Google's terms of service absolutely says that that's the way you have to do it. Um, but I think someday you can really get into, you know, regulatory uh, problems as well. And so, I, so the strategies that we're putting forth for those clients is, Hey, let's win the race. Let's produce incredible content. Let's do white papers, infographics, videos, interviews, guest posts, um, let's do things that earn the respect out there and then you get the respect. And you know what, when they change their focus to that, 
all of my clients skyrocket because there's opportunities everywhere to look great and to rank well with great content. And so the cheating, you're just risking it all. And, and in some cases, you're not even getting any results because some of these guys, I have a company that I'm helping right now. They were paying $3,000 a month uh, for somebody who is backlinking. Well, their rank hasn't moved in years. And it's because he thinks he's doing the same old things that are going to work. But the algorithms have gotten ahead of him. And so they fired him and, and got us involved. And now we're, and now we're able to move them. And, uh, of course we had to disavow everything <laughs> before. Um, but yeah, it's a, that, that one really burns me up and it's, uh, it's a, everybody wants a silver bullet and there's not a silver bullet. If you want to really market to people, you have to be the, the hardest thing to do to get business online is to get people to trust you. And so if you're right out of the gate looking for a way to cheat, guess what you're doing to that trust? You're just destroying it. Um, and so I, I just, you know, integrity is everything online and people really need to, to, to do the right thing online. And if they do that over the long haul, they're going to rank fantastic and they're going to get the attention that they deserve. Um, cause God, you know, God knows I, I don't have the money to create, uh, you know, a PhD program for, you know, Stanford grads, you know, to, to, to battle Google's algorithm. Um, right. They're always, they're always going to be ahead of us. Right. It's so true. And I think it, you nailed it. Integrity is everything. And just having this conversation today, it brings awareness to the topic. Cause I think a lot of yeah. people just do it without knowing that it is not a good practice. So just having Th this conversation it. will, you know, shine the light for many business owners and say, oh, wait, I thought this was the way to do it. No, it's not. You don't do paid backlinks. The way to do it is to do link earning, as your friend said. And it's all about integrity and earning that trust, earning the respect, earning that credibility, which brings us to where the world is shifting today. And, and the world is really moving, the online web at least, is moving towards this world of native advertising. It's taking over the web, especially as more and more ad-blocking technologies have hit the market. So yep. I'm curious, your perspective on the difference between, you know, there's paying for ads, there's traditional paid media, and then there's something called paying for content placement. And I, the other dark secret of the web is that there are contributor networks that people pay for. So yes. I want to shine a light and have an honest, transparent conversation about this too, because it's so important today. And a lot of people aren't really talking about this. I'm curious your perspective on whether there's always a necessary evil for folks to grow their reach or if there is purity in publicity today. Yeah, I, it's, it's, it's another tough one. You, you're asking me all the good, tough questions. Um, and, and here's the thing is, if you have an audience that I want to reach, and if I think that there's value in that, uh, and I'm willing to pay to reach that audience, well, that's how advertising came about. Um, and, and so native advertising is this one that when I, when it first came out, boy, I was really afraid. I, I said, you know, th there's no way that people are going to uh, go for this. But over time, I've actually uh, flipped on it. And, and here's why is that, um, if let's say, let's say, uh, let's say 
Jessica, you were paying to put articles on MarTech. One of the things is uh, that's my audience, and so I don't I don't want to risk that audience. I've worked for ten years to build that audience up to what it is, and so despite you paying me to do that, I still am absolutely going to make sure that I'm not going to hurt my reputation online or anything else. And and I'm going to disclose that relationship with my readers that this was a paid post that you know that Jessica made here and 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 exactly why, um, and so. Uh, what I've t- what I've noticed with it is my audience doesn't mind when I bring paid native content to them and let them know. And why? Well, because they trust me. Over time, they trust the fact that I'm not uh, I'm still a gateway, you know, for good or bad information that's coming to them. And I'm not going to let bad information come through just because they can buy their way in. Now, that's me, and of course I'm different. Other places aren't different. Well, other places are degrading their value online and their authority online when they're doing that. If I just opened up my my publication to the highest bidder and said, "Hey, it's for sale. Whoever wants to, you know, pay and and smash articles in here, what what's going to happen over time? It's just going to destroy my site over time, and my readership's going to go down. People are going to unsubscribe, and and what I've really done is just killed myself." you know, long-term, you know, I'm trying to, to keep that, uh, keep that open. Yeah. And, you know, just and, the fact that you mentioned that it's just tra- being transparent and not being a shady marketer. That's why marketers get such a bad name is because they don't disclose things. And then it just puts a bad taste in everyone's mouth. So if, and, yeah. Yeah. And we can talk specific. I know, I know one of the topics that you're edging around <laughs> is the Forbes agency council. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yes. and, and so, uh, Forbes basically has a program called the agency council. And for, I think it's like $2,000 a year, I think is, I can't remember quite what it is, but agencies that have a million dollars in accounts receivable or above, um, can pay that fee. And basically that opens up their uh, Forbes Agency Council portal to be able to write articles, you know, for Forbes and everything else. And uh, and so I tried it a couple years ago, signed on, and I got great results. I got people calling me. Um, I got companies that reached out and had me speaking at their events. And so it wound up being a, a good return on investment there. The rub is that those those people often weren't aware that I paid a fee to get into the Forbes. Uh, and so that's where I start off is when someone says, hey, you know, we read your article on Forbes and we really liked it. Um, we'd love to have you come out and speak at an event. Can you tell us what your fees are and everything else? The first thing I come back with is <clears throat> I would love to do something like that, but – you do realize that, you know, I'm a, I'm a paid member of Forbes agency council and that's how that got there. And, um, and people are often surprised, but still have me out. I've never had anybody turn me down for that. And so what it provides me is I don't have a name, you know, like some of the, my peers in the industry that just, they get included everywhere and they get invited to keynote everywhere. I'm kind of a C level player in my, in my industry. And so what Forbes agency council is, it it gets me up one more step of, 
you know, of, of getting, uh, you know, in front of people that I wouldn't ordinarily have the opportunity to. And for me, that's worth the money. And so it's, uh, it's another one. It does it feel icky? Ah, yeah, a little bit, but at the same time, people do appreciate the content that I'm putting out there and I work hard at it. Their editorial staff is really tough <laughs> on what you write and how you write. Um, so they don't, they don't just accept everything that's going through. And so, you know, there's kind of a back and forth that I, I feel okay about with them, but I totally understand where other people are like, Hey, that's a gimmick. You shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't be doing that. Uh, yeah. And one of our mutual friends, um, has a completely different, Opinion. Yes. I'm not going to mention him by name because he can speak for himself, but um, he has a completely different perspective on that. And I'm so grateful that you are so transparent about it because I see both sides as you do. And you're, you know, you've explained it so well. And I think it's important to bring this into the limelight because a lot of people don't even realize that this is happening. And a part of marketing is kind of digging for that truth kind of digging for what is going on in our industry and disclosing it and being real and transparent and saying, you know what, I do pay for this, uh, this audience platform. I do have these articles written in a way that, you know, makes me sound like a badass. You know, it's, it's really just about being, uh, really true to yourself and, and articulating that to our, not only our clients, but to the industry and to our networks, because that's where, the knowledge is that's where the the power lies is in the knowledge and in the um open and transparency of it all so um thank yeah. you so much for sharing and being so authentic about your experience with that network because uh, it's something that we need to be more open about and i really appreciate <laughs> yeah. you sharing that <laughs> well and i i always think it's funny like i listen to podcasts i love podcasts and i listen to them all the time and i'll you know I, the great mattress i think every mattress this provider is sponsoring some podcast out there. I can't wait till they ask me to. I'd love a free mattress. Anybody out there? But I, yeah, have you Casper noticed mattress, that? Have you, by the way, <laughs> if you're listening. <laughs> but but the funny thing is, is, I I hear you know I listen to these or I listen to these podcasts that have nothing to do with mattresses, nothing to do with furniture. And the first thing is the guy pops up and starts talking about his amazing mattress that he has at home and everything else. And then he doesn't disclose the fact that they're, they either provided him with a free mattress or they're paying him, you mm-hmm. know, for that. And it, and that really bugs me. Like yeah. I, I, I sit there and I just go, you're a shyster. Like I, I can't trust you that you even have that mattress at home. I have no idea whether you do or not. <laughs> and I wish these guys would, you know, instead say, Hey, look, Casper came out, talked to me about the podcast. They know I have an incredible reach and they provided me a free pot uh, a free mattress to test out after i tested it out then i accepted them as an advertiser i want to tell you about them well we guess all, what yeah we can all sleep better at night right <laughs> yeah <laughs> but that's a great that's such a more honest way of saying it that won't you know, get your, your people upset rather than just learning that they were taking a check to mention it and lie about it. Exactly. Yes. So on point. Yes. It's so important. And I, and I love these conversations for that exact reason. Cause where else can we talk about this? Where else can we just be real? <laughs> and, you know, 
I, it's, I don't even want to use the word call out people, but just, you know, you're just kind of shining a light on what's really happening behind the scenes. And I think that that's yeah. important for building trust and, you know, maintaining transparency with your brand, not just for your brand, but for our clients and everyone that's listening. So Douglas, thank you so much for joining me. Where can listeners go to find you online? Uh, well, I mean, they can Google Douglas Carr, K-A-R-R, and find me just about everywhere. But martech.zone is uh, is where I'm passionate about and write a, quite a bit about. And then there's uh, there's podcasts that you can check out in the sidebar. There's a number of podcasts um, that that I do, and uh, that's 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 pretty much it. And I will make sure to link to everything that you mentioned in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Douglas. It's really been a pleasure talking with you. Oh, same here. I, I could talk for 10 more hours about this stuff. So thank you. Thanks for listening to The Art of Humanity. Please follow us on Twitter at It's Jessica Ann. Join us next week with your host, Jessica Ann. Evolve your business with The Art of Humanity.